G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 14 Review, the last of the buy rounds, only six games on that shortened menu, back to the full nine next week, but uh, plenty to talk about, plenty of interesting results with uh, big ramifications for the ladder, both the top and the uh, bottom end of the eight and lower down. As well, as I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Uh, cold, like everybody else in Melbourne tonight. It's freezing. We're looking forward to nine games next week. Looking forward to maybe a little bit of spice up the top of the table with the cats going down. Absolutely. Uh, Got to thank the sponsors. Well, would be remiss of us not to thank our uh, fantastic sponsors, so why don't you do that? Andrew's Hamburgers, located at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, are beauties. Consistency. That's all I want from my football team. I can't get it. I cannot get it. But I can get it at Andrew's Hamburgers. One with the lot there is the same as it has been right throughout their 80 years of fine service. It makes them the most popular burger in Melbourne and almost Australia. And 144 and, Bridport Street. And as we've both remarked before, uh, a, a important, a crucial factor in any self-respecting hamburger is the quality of the bun. Yeah. The These bun, buns are unsurpassed. The buns have to be... You could but, eat the bun on its own. You'd like to You wouldn't, so. but I mean, that, no, that's how good they are. But... It's also how it's prepared. I mean, it's a beautiful soft bun, but it's got a bit of a toasty finish to it. Yes, it has. Some care. It has. Takes some doing. It's almost like uh, Colonel Sanders' secret recipe. I bet they're loath to give it away. Who's who's our other great uh, sponsor? Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. And Nick's done the right thing. He's headed up north for the last week or so, but he'll be back in Melbourne shortly. The company goes on regardless and if you've got property that needs a renovation, and now's the time to do it, property values are just, they're plateaued a bit. So put some money into yours and be ready for the next boom. Do you know, true story, I was, I've been at the Community Cup today. Fantastic uh, cause for Reckwink uh, on at Victoria Park between the Rock Dogs and the Megahertz. And, and we should say that the reason you're there annually is to hand out the all-important Connolly Medal for Best on Ground? Steve Connolly Medal. There are now two Steve Connolly Medals, actually. One for the Best Male Player and one for the Best Female Player. And uh, Tom Trimble was the uh, the uh, BOG today. Fantastic. It was a thriller, actually. Megahertz got up with the last quarter come back to win by a solitary point in front of a packed Victoria Park crowd. But, by the by, I'm wearing my Nick Spartel's windsheeter and I got pulled up by someone who remarked on what a fantastic building company they are and wanted to take a selfie with me showing my Nick Spartel's windsheeter. The leader of the opposition, Mr Albanese. No, it wasn't him. That was another selfie I took. But uh, <laughs> I did catch up with Albo. I've got to say, we had a great conversation, Finey. Uh, he's a he's a real rock pig, Albo. Uh, two of his favourite bands of all time, Radio Birdman and the Celibate Rifle. So we, uh, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah, no, he was a he was a real rock pick. So uh, we had a good chat about that, and he presented the cup to the megahertz, and um, he's a ripper, Albo. So uh, uh, very very much enjoyed catching up with him, and uh, hopefully we can get him into the lodge in three years' time. Anyway, we digress because there's a lot of footy to talk about. Let's not waste any more time. Let's wrap up the games on Footyology. Wrap around. Okay, Thursday night on the menu again uh, to Perth and Optus Stadium, and it was a convincing 35-point win to the Eagles, 14-22. Hey, that's the old call sign of 3XY, 14-22, 3XY. 106, 35-point victors over Essendon, a very disappointing Essendon, 11-5-71. Now, the story of this game, I reckon Finey, is told in those final scores. 36 scores to 16. This was a 35-point victory that felt at times like closer to a 70-, 80-point victory. Such was the Eagles' dominance. And uh, even first quarter, funnily enough, Essendon's accuracy probably... Kept them in it even then, 3-4 to 4 straight. But uh, after that, just an absolute shellacking. And the Eagles managed to pile on four goals, 10 in the second quarter. Two Essendon's, two goals, one. Um, the stats from that second term were absolutely damning. Overall, the Eagles ended up with 24 more inside 50s, 64 of them. What about the marks inside 50? I mean, if you can take... 14, 15 marks inside 50, you're doing really well. The Eagles ended up with 22 to Essendon's 8. So those tools up forward, absolutely dominant. They were dominant everywhere, really. Midfield, Dom Sheed, terrific with 36 touches. Andrew Gaff, very good. 30 to Redden in his uh, 200th game. Essendon really had no answer. Zach Merritt plugged away. Heppel plugged away as as they're prone to do. Um, Parrish had a crack, but... Gee, that was about it. It was such a... Oh, actually, I'll, I'll mention uh, Josh Begley and Jaden Laverde up forward, but uh, they were the only forwards to speak of. And Essendon just looked so flat and lifeless and, and not prepared to change the course of the game by trying anything. It was just a, it was a pretty hideous uh, performance, to be honest. I've got a bit more to say about it later, but really disappointing. And uh, in contrast, the Eagles would be really happy with that. It was a... Pretty complete performance from them. Yeah, one of my bugbears is scores now are so often given, and certainly the graphic on the screen just tends you to believe that football is no longer goals and behinds. It's just the total amount. So mm. it's a it is a bugbear of mine because it's not a good indication of the actual state of the state of the game. And the commentators don't, I believe, do enough to fill the void. Especially when at three quarter time you've got eleven seventeen to eight one, well the graphic on the scoreboard that would have said what eighty three to forty nine or something mm. thereabouts doesn't tell the tale of an utter dominant performance by the West Coast Eagles. So no, good you, point. You needed to watch the game. Apparently Josh Kennedy had tonsillitis leading into the game and was touch and go. Mm. Well, his tonsillitis passed and Essendon's backline got Kennedyitis because if not for his wayward kicking, he would have had that game done, dusted halfway through the third quarter, no need to ask any more questions. His marking was strong, but he's not that much taller than any of those Essendon defenders that were given the job to play on him. 
which is disappointing, therefore, that Hooker wasn't able to find a position in front of Kennedy or that Hurley. Between them, they're, they're seasoned defenders. They shouldn't be getting taken apart in such a clear manner aerially by a forward line. Well, they just kept they kept sort of you know, desperately hacking the ball out and it just kept coming back in. I mean, 64 inside 50s. I mean, know. the second quarter was unbelievable. I don't think Essendon got inside their own 50. I think when they did, they kicked a goal straight away. Mm. They didn't get inside their own 50 for more than half of the quarter. No, I think they might have had about four for the quarter. Yeah. The... This is a problem, and we'll talk about another coach that has a major problem after the weekend, and that is St Kilda's coach. But there would be questions asked as to what happens in the coach's box, or in this case, down on the ground, because he was down on the ground for much of the game. What what can be done to alter the course of a fait accompli? Well, and it seems for Essendon very little. You know, Wush has never been one to throw the chess pieces around, even when even when he was coaching West Coast. And, um, you know, I think when there's criticism of him as a coach, that's one of them. Now, that sort of positional chicanery has become less of a feature of modern-day coaching. But there are times when you've just got to try stuff. And um, what did they, they – you know, they, they – they they will throw a small defender forward, or you know it, it's always restricted to sort of one positional move. And in this case, it wasn't nearly enough. Um, he he also gave the worst answer at a press conference I think I've heard in living memory. What was that? He was asked about Saad, who was near best on ground the week before, mm. the impact or lack of impact by Saad and. Hutchins, and did you hear what he said in response? Sard, uh, by, with, sorry. You Specifically just... about uh, Sard and McKenna. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, because Mark Hutchins played on did uh, a job sorry. on Sard. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what he said no. about Sard? He said, well, Sard's a defender, and his first and foremost job is to make sure his opponent doesn't hit the scoreboard, so he did that. Yeah, yeah no, that's not very satisfactory, seeing that Sard, my memory of this game, Last year, when Essendon surprised them, is that Saad was pretty close to best on ground with that run he generated off half-back. What's he suggesting? Saad did all right because he kept Hutchins to no goals. Uh, see, I, Strange I th- reply. I think Essendon is far too dependent on that run off half-back because their midfielders, even though the likes of Merritt and Heppel are you know, consistent possession accumulators, but they're not, they're not dashes. There's no explosiveness. Ditto with Parrish, who I think's been good in the midfield. But this is a this is a growing problem for the Bombers. There's no, there's not nearly enough explosiveness about them. Um, you know, Tippenwoody, uh, McDonald, Tippenwoody held again, um, and there's not there's not a lot to go beyond that, really. I mean, Shield, you know, Shield was pretty ordinary. I thought uh, it was just a you know for a side that have won two in a row and uh, seemed to be sort of building a, a reasonable vein of form. It was a desperately disappointing performance. What about the Eagles? How close are they to getting back to where they should be, do you think? Well, the good thing for the Eagles is that they haven't reached their best form. They had Nat Nui and Barras go around in the waffle. I mean, that's a big plus for them because Tom Hickey's pretty ineffective, to be honest. He just battles away. But if you can add Nat Nui with any vibrancy to that team, you've got something 
pretty exciting happening. And I just want to mention Yo. What a great game he played. Something like a dozen tackles. He averages seven tackles a game, which people don't readily think of when you think of Yo. But he's not only great getting the ball and marking the ball, but also when he doesn't have the ball. Mm. And and he's a, a beautiful kick, penetrating yep. kick too. So I, I'm surprised to see Redmond in Essendon's best. I thought he made a couple of real blatant howlers. He's a good kid, but he bit off more than he can chew two or three times. Well, it might be a consequence of them feeling like they have to have six best players because, frankly, I think you'd struggle to find six of the Bombers. Uh, very disappointing for them. All right, let's move on. Okay, Friday evening at the SCG and two uh, preeminent sides of the modern era. They've had some classic scraps. In fact, their last five games have been decided by an average of 6.8 points. Well, this one wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a blowout. Sydney won by 19 points, but fairly comfortable 19 points for mine. 12-10-82, defeating Hawthorne 9-9-63. Um, pretty dour scrap, really, after that first quarter where Sydney established their advantage with six goals in that first quarter. Buddy on fire and Papley on fire. I think they had four between them in that first term. Whereafter, uh, Hawthorne managed to block the game up a fair bit and it became a, a real scrap and a pretty unattractive scrap at that. In fact, uh, just having a look at the second and third quarters, a total of six goals kicked in two quarters by both Sides. Um, the headlines, obviously, are probably more Buddy Franklin doing that hamstring, which will keep him out for a, a month, which is unfortunate because, of course, he's due to play his 300th game and he was in really good form. Um, here's a point on Hawthorne about the, uh, you know, they were such a free-scoring team, weren't they, in those premiership years? Here's how much that's regressed. They have not scored more than 80 points in a game since round six. So uh, eight games ago now, um, they are really struggling up forward. Uh, for the Swans, I thought Luke Parker, very good, very steady with 31 touches. Zach Jones played a pretty good game for them. Um, and importantly, too, after a pretty quiet night, when Buddy got injured, young Nick Blakey really stepped up in that last quarter with two goals for them. Um, the other point of interest was one of the most incredible, and in fact, Essendon did it against Hawthorne last week on halftime. This time it was Sydney. That um, shot of, uh, in fact, it was just before three-quarter time, wasn't it? That shot of Gunston's, which Callum Sinclair and Dane Rampey just stopped chasing, and the ball bounced through for a goal. Yeah, three-quarter like, time. That's like under-12 stuff. Could you believe what you were seeing? Dane Rampey has put together a... <laughs> a low-light reel. Yeah, has put, yeah, has put together a resume. And if I would have said at the start of the season... Which who is the who is the nuttiest backman in the competition? <laughs> you know, there used to be some mad moments with Brian Lake and you know, just Sam Frost has his moments for Melbourne. Yeah, um, defenders are prone to sometimes be like deer in the headlights. Yeah, Dane Rampey never struck me as that sort of player. He was saving it all up for this season. And and for people not across this, the other two. Uh, pivotal events in that catalogue, the climbing of the goalpost, which by rights probably should have cost them the game, and the giving away of a 50-metre penalty against Collingwood with the game on the line probably cost, probably did cost them the game. Um, this one didn't because I I, um, I think uh, the Swans were going to get there anyway. 
Um, it's a real indication, isn't it, if we needed one, which I don't think we did after last week. But Hawthorne, yeah, they're, um, they're, they are. And Clarko said it. He said we're a middle-of-the-road team. Yep. They, they are the definition of a middle-of-the-road team, aren't they? No, they are. And their demise over the last few weeks has coincided with the power being sort of taken out. The, the plugs have been pulled almost on Gunston and Bruce. Mm. The, their lack of impact in the forward line, and unfortunately Roughhead was not able to come in and change that formula much either. There really is very little other avenue to goal for the Hawks. Well, it's all very laboured. They struggle everywhere, I reckon. I mean, they were all. I felt they were always going to struggle midfield after losing Tom Mitchell. Yep. You know, we knew how dependent they were upon him, you know, and you thought, okay, well, maybe Amira can rise to that level we think he can be, and Warpool had been a great sort of first-year player. Can he go up another level? I think Warpool's been very good. Plus, they've had probably an unexpected bonus in Ricky Henderson, who right now would probably win their best and Not fairest. Comfortably. But even with Henderson... And Warple going okay, and Amira being all right. I mean, he ended up with twenty eight uh, touches again, uh, and Henderson twenty three, I think, well, um, maybe even more. Yeah, might have been twenty nine. Twenty nine, I think. Yeah, I can't read my own writing, but even with that, you know, they were pants midfield. I thought. Yeah, Luke Parker to me was the man at the coalface that did most damage and won most fifty fifty ball. The other problem I think that they have is a lack of depth in the midfield. So, of course, Liam Shields always does a fair shift of work. He's not a game-breaker, though, is he? No, no, I'm saying he does that fair shift of work. But who then rotates through their midfield? There's not a lot. I I reckon they're going to... I I thought almost their best player last week against Essendon was Impey. Yes. But he's typical of that sort of brilliance they've lost, isn't he? And and it really stands out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of it. and um, Smith sort of slowed down to a walk. Yeah, that that core of senior players, and we talked about this last week as well, that core of senior players is starting to head over the cliff as a group, which means, you know, there's probably some tough times ahead. What about the Swans? Where do we reckon they're at? Well, all that momentum that they've built up over the last three weeks, does that stop with the injury to Buddy? Um, it, it certainly it doesn't help. It, no, it certainly the momentum it, it takes the it takes the air out of the balloon, doesn't it? it? Really does pop it a bit because as much as they would talk up during the week, the fact that it's not about Buddy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they have struggled to score without him, and with him they're not pulverising the scoreboard, and it then falls back on to Reed and the players like Haywood and Blakey and. Isaac Heaney and others who weren't getting the job done without him, really. In, in terms of uh, the future, do we think Sydney a better place than Hawthorne? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Not necessarily terrifically placed, though. Yeah, no, no, they're, they're not terrifically placed, but they have a have shown over the last 15 or so years an ability to regroup very quickly. And mm. you've got to like Blakey. Oh, yeah, no, he's a gun. So he's, he's a uh, there is some youth. There's obviously there's some youth youth there that Heaney. I mean Mills maybe not quite living up to the building. No, he's at the plateaued moment. a bit. 
But you've got Haywood, you've got Florent. There's there's certainly some. Pepley is a very. Oh, he's a great player. Yeah, he's yeah. a very damaging forward rover slash rover. So I think that there's some youthful, youthful promise there. All right, and Alira Lear, of course, is a young backman. Yes, hello, hello. Um, there's our tale of the SCG Friday night, and I digress quickly. Just that second, got an Instagram notification from our mate Nick Spartels who saw the shot of me with Albo and said, great hoodie. <laughs> no comment on the uh, on the company I was keeping. Um, all right, that's Thursday and Friday night wrapped up. Let's talk about Saturday. Saturday afternoon at the MCG, the first of three games on the, um, what do you call Saturday? Like Sunday's a Sabbath. What's Saturday? Is the, there a name for the it? The Sabbath, if you're Jewish. The Saturday. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the Saturday. Um, all right, Melbourne Fremantle, uh, bona fide upset here, really. Um, yep. Isn't it funny though? We're talking about an upset. If at the start of the year, well, that's exactly what I said in the preview that I was. I, the preview that I gave for the game was exactly the op, exactly what I thought I'd be giving at this time of the year, but for the wrong team. Yeah. You yeah. Know, one pushing to consolidate a spot yeah. in the eight and to make good on some really good form. And, of course, to top off the paradox, we got the tip wrong. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> I, I tipped Essendon, so after that I'm hardly able to pick my nose. But uh, really good win for Melbourne in the finish. You know, tight game. I quite enjoyed it as a, you know, it wasn't a great spectacle, but it was tight and there was enough excitement there, I thought. In the finish, Melbourne uh, accuracy helped them. 13 goals, 7.85, 14-point victors over Fremantle, who were accurate as well, actually, 11 5 71, but uh, the story of Melbourne's season has been winning enough ball, generating um, a power of inside 50s, but just simply unable to convert them. Um, This time they did, and that was due in no small part to a really good game uh, in what's been a poor season for him, really, by Tom McDonald, who ended up with a truckload of disposals, I think about 28 disposals or something, and seven marks. He was terrific for them. Um... I thought Clayton Oliver was very good for them. And uh, Frio got off to the better start, but Melbourne gradually pegged them back and were playing the better football, if not able to get their nose in front. But then once they did, relatively late in proceedings, admittedly, um, they went on with it and uh, ended up winning by two and a half goals. Yeah, major loss, Jesse Hogan. It meant that their big man stocks up front were sort of... Fremantle. Fremantle. When I'm still talking about Jesse Hogan, the Melbourne player. Yeah, sorry. Easy to make that mistake, I guess. I shouldn't have made it, though. Yeah, big loss for Fremantle, Jesse Hogan. Uh, Left them up front with Brennan Klutz. And unfortunately, (laughs) he is. You've got your whipping boys, haven't you? You just beat them mercilessly. Well, I've let them prove me wrong. Darcy worked manfully in the ruck, but in the end... Baby Huey. In the end, Gorn certainly played a key role and that last quarter look Fremantle went into that last quarter ahead courtesy of that controversial moment with Michael Walters where he got reported for a head tap he got reported and then he got a got free, free kick and a 50 yeah, that's right <laughs> that's an interesting double isn't it uh, when he lined up for goal the statistics showed that from in front 40 meters out he's 14 out of 15 well now 15 out of 16 so mm. he was never going to miss it that even though the scoreboard had them in front, I was very comfortable in the notion that Melbourne 
with a better team and about to take this game away. And they really controlled that last quarter. Yeah, It took them a little while because they're not a team that's won a lot this year. It doesn't come as competently or as decisively as, say, Collingwood, who put a team away in the last quarter. There are still nervous moments. Wiedemann, who didn't get a lot of the ball. Gee, there was a great spoil. He came over the top for a, an important spoil about 10 minutes to go on the members' wing. Mm. that was really telling. It resulted in a goal for Melbourne, and more on this later in my hots and knots, but Christian Petrarca, he's taken a a step forward in his football. No longer is he a player waiting for somebody to deliver the ball so he can do something special. He now is that player who gets the ball and delivers it, and... I was really impressed with him in that last quarter. Frustrating afternoon for Frio and and for those of us who tipped them because after they beat Collingwood at the same venue, um, they've had some good road performances this year, nonetheless beating GWS in Canberra. I thought, well, yeah, look, this is a game they now should win and they should be very confident about winning. But after they got off to that start, it was almost like they sort of subconsciously relaxed a bit was also a bit taken aback. Brad Hill, I thought, was good for them. But, gee, he turned it over a bit and made yeah. some errors by foot, particularly early. I was k- keeping count, and I, I sort of got up to about five before half time. Um, so that was costly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Look, it, you did mention some whipping boys. Yeah. Frost was great in that last quarter. Yeah. A couple of intercept marks. And just Yeah, he launched one of those forward sorties which got them a goal, didn't he? Yeah, and fumble, and he fumbled it once but then was able to regain it. And he just felt that things were going a bit for Melbourne because luck has been a, a cruel mistress for them. And McDonald and Frost are both... They make one mistake and it seems to cost them a game this year. Mm. But both of them got into stride and played a key role. Just back on Freo, I mean, it's a costly loss. They've sort of imperiled yeah. their yep. position in the eight now. And, and, yeah, we think, you know, they're going to win the bulk of their games at home. But this is a game that they should have won. And plus, obviously, the you mentioned Jesse Hogan, foot injury. Now, I think they're saying it's not the full navicular catastrophe. So he might be back. But it is the same foot he's had problems with. Plus, they lose Stephen Hill, who's just come back with a hamstring. They're two pretty significant uh, absentees for them. Yeah, I thought Lobb and Pierce uh, last week, you know, we spoke about how well they had gone, but both mentioned that the loss of Lobb and Pierce long-term would be maybe insurmountable, and I fear now, certainly if Hogan goes down, that they will not be able to cover these losses. Mm. So what about Melbourne? Where, how does Melbourne approach the rest of this season, knowing that they're capable of a performance like that, but the season is effectively shot to ribbons. Yeah, maybe not. Well, you reckon they can still make it? They're the sort of team that would like the mathematical challenge. Haven't we? Or, or oh, we've all written them off. We've, we've written them yeah, off. Yeah, we've written them off. But mathematically, they can still get to 13 wins, and they should really... I'm not all that interested in any wins they can muster after it's mathematically impossible. But while it's mathematically impossible, the team that was supposed to finish top four should be a good challenge for anybody. So I'd like to see them win when it's still at least a chance. They'd be an interesting wild card in the run-up to the finals at the very least. Well, Dwayne Russell was making much of that in the commentary oh, yesterday. He? If there was a wild card, oh, okay. ninth and 10th, well, why not 11th and 12th? I worked with him for two hours on Friday night. Maybe some of Dwayne's thinking... 
seeped into my subconscious. Uh, all right, that is Saturday afternoon at the G. Let's talk Saturday twilight down the road at Marvel Stadium. Now, I apologise in advance, Fanny. This isn't going to be pleasant for you, I know. Um, but I have to be honest, as a neutral, uh, there was something pleasant about this game, and it was watching the continued emergence of a young and exciting side who plays some really attractive footy. Um, just a little aside here, too, and it is very self-indulgent. This is how good a guy Chris Fagan is. So I left where I was sitting to get into the room first about a minute before the siren. I walk in there, there's literally no one there. Um, I've got the guy doing the audio stuff, Lawrence Rosen of 3AW. He was helping me, so I'm putting my cans on and adjusting the mic and everything. And then I feel this tap on my shoulder, and someone goes, oh, g'day, great man. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's one of my media colleagues. I turn around, it's Chris Fagan. He's the first guy in the rooms, and he stops there a chat and says, oh, I haven't seen you for ages. Lovely. So we're talking away, and uh, then I thought I'd better ask him something about the game. So we talked briefly about the game. But um, I'll tell you, you can really see, we've heard this all year, how, how, just how um, idolised almost he is by the players. They love him, and, and they respond to him. And he, uh, I watched him coaching from the bench and he's just so controlled about it all um, and it was a brilliant win by them in the end, 17-13 115 uh, what's that, 56 point victors over the Saints, 8-11 59 and uh, basically oh, they were dominant in terms of play the whole night but that third quarter, that is one of the best quarters of footy I've seen a team play this year, they kicked 9-3 to 1 goal 1 to turn what was a 20-point lead into a 70-point lead at three-quarter time. Uh, goals, Charlie Cameron, five. I will talk about him, so let's not do that now. Jared Lyons, a couple. Uh, Alan Christensen, back into that team, a couple. And Hugh McLuggage, a couple. He's turning into a very, very good player, too. Uh, Nick Hind, three goals for the Saints. He was impressive. They, they're going to get good value from him. Two to Bruce. Um but Brisbane just had this game stitched up from pretty early in terms of general play. They just needed to convert it a bit. And once they did, St Kilda were toast. Look, the game started with Brisbane kicking four behinds. It could have been four goals. They got on the board and probably between the 20-minute mark of the first quarter and the 15-minute mark of the second quarter, St Kilda had more of the ball. But that in itself was a worry because when they had the ball, they looked very cumbersome going forward they've their big problem this year is getting not getting the ball inside 50 getting it inside 50 meaningfully mm. so that 20 minute period of possession domination or at least superiority was worrying for St Kilda in that they could make nothing of it and you only needed to think of what happened in the first quarter and then think what would that look like if they finished their work off well, because their forwards were way too quick for St Kilda's defenders. Cameron all over McKenzie. Dangerous players at the drop of the ball, like McLuggage, like Christensen. Rich able to bomb it from a distance, either for a goal or for a meaningful kick. And then McInerney too tall for anybody. So too tall, in, too good in the air, too good at the ground level. And if you thought what might that might look like, your queries were put to bed because the third quarter actually was no more than Brisbane deserved or St Kilda deserved in that game. 
They, uh, that was actually more indicative, I think, of how those two teams played and their abilities than any of the other palaver. The last quarter, junk time, yeah. Orson Kilda's frittered possession early in the game. The real difference between the teams happened in that third quarter, and it was real. All right. Uh, Brisbane, eight wins. They need another five from their remaining nine games to play finals. Will they do it? Yes. Yeah, I think they I, on what I saw, On what I saw, I think they turned a corner. I think. I know I yeah. wax and wane with them. Yeah. But, look, they're going to... Do you hope they make it? Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah, so, hopes Yeah, so, so do I. They are, they are great to watch. And, look, it's been 10 years for them since they were there yeah. last, so... Well, look, they don't need to worry about Essendon. They don't need to worry about St Kilda. They don't need to worry about Hawthorne, who were sort of yapping at their heels a little bit. And Sydney without Franklin... Melbourne probably too far back. Bulldogs brave, but too far back. And I think they're better than Frio, so I think they make it. Uh, where are the Saints at, Farney? Uh, problems. The, look, St Kilda does have the their two best midfielders out, but they need... Look, it was good to see Hanbury play. He'll, he'll get, he, was, he'll, he was good. He'll be better for the run. He was good. Yeah. The problem with the problem with St Kilda is their ball usage is no good. The pressure, any results they got early in the season came from applying pressure, and that's very hard to keep going. In the end, you turn the ball over, and that's a very hard contract to keep up. You know, you need fresh legs and a clear mind, and an optimistic view of the season to put in like they did early in the year and. They're dropping off as they did last year, as they've done before. But I do, think they, do they have sufficient <laughs> excuse for that? They're not that young a team anymore, are they? No, but they've got too many ball slaughterers. So those players yeah. that put in, there's, what do you do with somebody like Nunes? What do you do with somebody like Akers? Well, was, you, don't, you don't play them, preferably. I was going to ask, uh, Nunes is now um, the record holder for most consecutive games, I think. He's up to... At St Kilda? Yeah. No, no, I think across the AFL. Was there someone else? Oh, the current. Who... Cur- yeah. yeah. Well, um, they should end that next week. Well, where's he at? Like, I mean, he, I, I don't like to be cruel about it. He's, he's a nice guy, but he's he is, to me, the epitome of a vanilla yeah. footballer well, who but, just offers you not that much. Well, he doesn't offer enough because his kicking's bad. And unfortunately, David Armitage, who's been a good servant for the club, is if he's in the team, then something's not right. Mm. Yeah, a bit disappointing. How did Carlisle go, do you think? Oh, well, Carlisle's a good player, but he was brought back too early. Okay, so let's talk quickly about this. So, uh, yes, Alan Richardson will be under pressure. Should he be under pressure? Yeah. So you think, can we... You know, they have had a truckload of injuries. Are yes, we able to put them to one side and measure his performance despite the list being compromised by those injuries? Yeah, we can because they had reached a level of performance that was quite good in the first, not just with the wins, the first nine weeks. Because yeah. the losses to Collingwood and uh, was not were not was not terrible. West Coast Eagles, Adelaide, they were acceptable. Mm. There was an acceptable level of football being played there. Mm. But I'm sorry. Port Adelaide, all right, make excuses, players were ill. Gold Coast and Kilda played terribly for most of the game. Mm. And now another week of terrible football. If you set the bar at a certain level with those injuries as part of the uh, scenario, then in a season where 
look, he's now the third longest standing coach at St Kilda, I think. You know, in his sixth season, I think it's his sixth, is that correct? For, uh, yes, it is. Yep, 14 was the first. If you, re- if you achieve something after nine weeks, you cannot slide back. This has to be turned around. If it's turned around, we'll call it a mid-season funk. Okay, but so... If, it, if, it, if, it's a mid, if they drop away from here, sorry, that's, you can't play half-seasons of football. All right, one more. Who have they got next week? Richmond. If they get... Things are long. Okay, if they, get, long. If they get absolutely pumped Which the next two weeks, yeah. will he get the chop mid-season? He could. Brett Ratton could take over. Yeah, I think it's unlikely, but I think it so could do, I think it's unlikely because I don't think the dynamic amongst that group would be comfortable with that. No, I agree. All right, that's enough on Marvel Stadium and uh, big game over in Adelaide to finish off Saturday evening, and that was, of course, Port Adelaide and, uh, Port Adelaide and Geelong. Well, this is a turn-up finding. I guess it had to happen. The Cats had only lost one game, um, but their form had been particularly good. Port, how, how long have Port been like this? That We know that their best can be very, very capable, and they can turn it on out of nowhere when you're least expecting it. Um, but it wasn't usually when they do turn it on like that, it's in a sort of attacking, free-scoring sense. This wasn't. They... They um, ground out this win, and they did it really impressively in the finish. 11 points um, at the end. Nine goals, 13-67, defeating the Cats. 8-8-56, brother. Um, really good win by the power. Two goals to Rosie and Robbie Gray. Singles the rest. Uh, Robbie Gray, fantastic game from him. Uh, high 30s disposals. Travis Spoke, great uh, Scott Lysette, flying solo in the ruck, did really well. Tom Cleary, great shutdown job on Tom Hawkins. Um, Dan Houston playing a, uh, a midfield role, racked up the touches as well. Uh, Carl Amon coming good. Um, actually, this is one of my hots or not, so I bet might stop right there. Geelong, it, yeah, pretty ordinary night for them. A tale of a, a tale of a tape in a statistical sense, pretty telling. Clearances uh, 52 to 36 ports way. Uh, inside 50s were 56 to 44. Contested ball, port won by 36. So, like I said, they really uh, you know, knuckled down, nose to the grindstone, were just the harder team and, and looked like they were a bit more hungry as well. I reckon there was something. Wonderful here for Geelong. A really great sign for Geelong. For Geelong? Yeah. What was it? All right. Well, we, we can talk about Port Adelaide shortly because it was a great win and they set themselves for this victory. Charlie Dixon afterwards was talking like he was, he, you know, he was lost and he'd been found again. He sounded born again in his interviews after the, after the game. He'd been resurrected. But... Figs along. What did he say? Hallelujah. Oh, no. This is, you know, this, I'm back. I want to thank the fans, the club. Oh, yeah. I never thought I'd be here. Amen. Amon. <laughs> Carl Amon. <laughs> the loss, Figs along, came thus. Hawkins couldn't get, couldn't touch it. They got really beaten comfortably out of the middle. Dangerfield was great. And beyond that, most of their players were beaten. You know, they only lost away from home against a team that was right on the right on their game 
They lost by less than two goals. Yeah. Now, mm. now they're just a hard nut to crack now, Geelong. This mm. is, Geelong in recent years have made the eight, but they've had some pretty leaky losses. Yeah. Where they've just fallen away and been, you know, there hasn't been a lot of character even in the loss. No, they hung in there. There, there was character in the loss. I saw the best move I think I've seen by a footballer on in this game. This, Please this, expand. This grab of the ball, sidestep, shimmy pass by Jordan Clark was ex- Did you see it? The kick to Darcy. Oh Ford? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what a, what a yeah, what a piece of foot trickery and and sidestepping brilliance that was. It yeah. was beautiful. So I don't want to over overpraised Geelong because they were beaten around the ground. It was a great effort by Port Adelaide to basically shut all of them down save for Dangerfield and Ablett was dangerous at times but really players that counted were beaten comfortably. So great effort by Port Adelaide but you have to look at losses in the big picture as well. And Geelong are now much harder to beat than they used to be. They were due. I mean, it's their second loss. Um, Quick one on Port. Uh, You know, they're another in that pack of sort of teams. Let's see what they can make of this. Hartlett was very good. Yeah. You forget, you know, forget a healthy Hartlett's a very good footballer. Beautiful kick, of course. Yeah. Jesus, I know what he's been spending his time away injured doing. Building up. Well, just getting his tats done everywhere. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. How about um, that kick by Dangerfield, speaking of good kicks, the set shot of goal that looked like he was going to take a torpedo punt. Yeah. He hammered it. So do you – I still don't have enough faith in Port to be able to repeat that on a consistent basis, do you? As I said, let's see, because they've only previously beaten one team in the top five for the year, I think. Mm. This is their best win. They've beaten the top team. Let's see what they make of their best win. Because it's you know it's harder to parlay a win over Gold Coast into something. Yeah. This, this is now an opportunity, and it was a big statement night for them. They dropped Powell Pepper. They dropped Westhoff. They dropped uh, who was the other guy? They dropped Ryder. Yeah. So they're three big omissions, aren't they? And I will talk about that very shortly. Okay. Good win for the Power over the top team on the ladder. Of course, the Cats now only one game clear on top, and that is because of what happened on Sunday. That was a Marvel Stadium, and we're going to talk about that now. The one game to finish off the last of the bye rounds, Sunday afternoon at Marvel, at the curious time yet again of 3.20, despite... Oh, actually, was it a Channel 7 game? Bulldogs-Collingwood, or was it a Fox Fox game? game. So why was it at 3.20? Because the bounce, especially. Oh, of course, yes, Australia needed. 350th anniversary. Australia needed to tune in to the bounce. Um, uh, A Collingwood win, which has become a bit sort of typical of how they're winning of late. Only uh, nine points in the finish. 13 goals, four. Accuracy helps, 82. Defeating the Bulldogs, 10-13. 73. Now, I was at the Community Cup today, finally. I'm going to fess up. I didn't see all of this game. I saw most of the first quarter and I saw probably half of the last quarter. But what I saw in the last half of the last quarter seemed to be a bit symptomatic of what was happening, i.e. the Bulldogs winning plenty of the footy but just unable to score out of it. Collingwood, not necessarily terrific, but making what chances they did create count. 23 scoring shots to 17, more inside 50s belonging to the Bulldogs and Collingwood. If you're 
a stats reader, and so many people are, rather than game watchers, you'd walk away saying that this is one that the Bulldogs could have won but didn't. But they cannot rue missed opportunities, nor can they rue more time spent in forward 50 than the opposition because they didn't do it on their own terms. They were never able to enter, you know, Collingwood played positional defence and they were never able to budge Collingwood off the mark, make them worried about going man-on-man particularly. Collingwood owned the space. Ironically, that space was owned more often than not by Roughhead, somebody that Bulldogs felt that they could live without. Mm. And he certainly knew where to stand to get most of the traffic back the other way. Now, And he, uh, he was on Norton, wasn't he? Yeah, and yeah. Norton was well held. Shackie kicked three goals, and that's as good a return as you could hope for a guy that doesn't have a lot of goals under his belt at either AFL or even VFL level. But I guess he was presented a couple of times. He's no more than really arresting Ruckman up forward, and he's not a good Ruckman. So his position in the team came by virtue of not much else available. Lloyd took a magnificent mark. He was a bit profligate. He was the one player, I guess, that, you know, he loves the goals, does mm. our, our Sammy Lloyd. Well, he missed uh, he missed one at the end where they were still sort a, of a, a sneaky chance. chance. Yeah. And, then, and then he finally handballed the next one off. Yeah. After seven, seven, seven weeks of not doing it, I'll try this. What, what about... Um, what a mark he took. What about Brodie Grundy's game? Like yeah. he, he was, I he, mean, he, in should, what do, I say, he, he was, should dominate English, shouldn't he? But he did. But, well, he was so far and away best on ground, wasn't he? Yeah, look, I'll tell you, he got a goal in that last quarter. Beautiful kick from 50 metres out. Given how hard it was to get a free kick at times, it was a bit of a soft free kick. And there was a free kick missed in the last quarter. Now, I don't know what the umpire was thinking, and I think it might have been the more senior of the umpires. Who's number six? He's been around for a while. He's the umpire there, the very senior umpire. Bailey Williams was in the forward pocket and there was a Collingwood player on the ground, I think Maynard, holding him by the foot so he couldn't run. Now, I don't know whether the umpire thought that... It was like a scene out of one of those horror movies, you know, where you walk through the cemetery and the, cor- <laughs> and the corpses come comes out, out of, of the grave. Yeah, the hand comes out and grabs you. I don't yeah. know what he thought was happening. Yeah. So that, flab- that didn't merit a free kick? Not a free It was flabbergasting. Yeah. Is that a word? I don't think it I is. I was one. flabbergasted. Yeah, that's a word. Anyway, the umpires didn't cost... Bulldogs the game. Collingwood cost Bulldogs the game, and Collingwood themselves mucked up. Dugowie was surprisingly not wasteful in front of Goggs. He did kick a beauty at one point, but stupid. He, he did a couple of really silly things in front of goal in terms of his option. He just seemed to be not quite on. I don't think they were ever really going to lose. Side bottoms. You know what we take for granted with side bottom, which he does brilliantly? Picking the ball up off the deck. He's got such sore hands when he bends over. And I think we take it for granted that an AFL footballer, when he's in the clear, should always pick it up. But that ball tumbles. Mm. And boy, he puts his nose over it and picks it up beautifully. Great player. I mean, he's a great player. He's a player who's been consistently underrated, really, for most of his career. I thought he was best on ground, just shading your man Grundy. Really? Okay. Uh, Trelaw uh, racked him up, as he's prone to do. He can do. Uh, Ben Reid was all right, wasn't he? Yeah, he he went off. He got a knee in the head. Three goals. He got a knee in the head in a big marking contest. Mm-hmm. And he went off and they thought he might be off for the game, but he came back with the requisite padding and bandaging. Do you bleed more freely when you're bald? Possibly. It's more noticeable. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I did see that. The, there was a fair the bit the of claret runs. Claret. The claret Ooh. runs free. We always call it claret, don't yeah. we? We're never a sort of Pinot Noir or a... yeah, cabs. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a wine drinker. <laughs> I wasn't going to go and lick it off and give a give a uh, analysis of the taste. Yeah, maybe the ghoul that held Bailey Williams' foot. It was also very confusing to watch the Bulldogs today. Why is that? Bailey Williams, Bailey Smith, oh, yeah. Rourke Smith, yeah. Bailey Dale. Bailey <laughs> bailed me out. Like, I'm enough. I'm, I don't know really which one's which. Actually, but that is a good entree to say Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet. Because, Finey... Uh, but Rourke Smith has a mullet as well. So I, both, no, I just wanted to I'm say saying that. I'm that both Smiths have a mullet. Well, on the footyology thread on Big Footy, hi to all uh, the people who contribute to that. They've started um, uh, quotable quotes of footyology. Strangely enough, they're all... Things I say, which apparently Not surprising. are uh, Mitch Brown. I love Mitch Brown. I love Willie Rioli. Uh, gee, that Petrocelli's fast. Yeah, of course. Um, and there's a couple of others there. So if you can possibly, people who contribute to that, weigh in with a few things that Finey always says. Well, uh, mine now is Brennan Klutz. Oh, Brennan Klutz. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Bring out some of Finey's other favourite bloody whipping boys. Stop picking on me. Just one more thing would be my favourite. Just favorite. one more thing. Yeah, that's good. Actually, that works well. <laughs> Um, all right, so look, just quickly on the Pies. They're, they're clear in second spot. They're only one game off top spot. Um, we know they're a good side, but is it starting to be a concern that, you know, like in terms of quarters one, I think they're only about mid-table. They're doing it, they're not doing it with four-quarter performances. Should we be worried about that? Oh, not really. Not really. I think they've got gears. Yeah, I don't know if you can... I don't know if you can sort of got, turn it on and off. They looked like much that. better with Mason Cox in the team. He made a big difference today. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? A few weeks ago we were saying that, you know, it's going to be hard for him to play Cox both Cox Reed, and yeah. Reid. But uh, they're able to do that. And Roughhead again, and we have said this. Remember, um, there was no Darcy Moore, so Roughhead was great. Uh, I know where you're going with this. Where? There was a Darcy Moore, but he looked completely different. Correct. I'm glad you're. I was going to come. Have you ever seen a guy so dramatically <laughs> change his appearance in the spot? I looked at him and I just went, What? <laughs> What's he done? Why'd he do it? I, I sort of quite like the blonde thing. It was very reminiscent of his old man. Now he just looks like, I don't know. Who does he look like? Does that mean none of doesn't it was. doesn't look like Darcy Moore. Does that mean none of it was real? I don't know, but if he had a, you know, if he had a sort of change his name by Deepole to Fletcher Jones or something and run out like that, no one would have batted an eyelid, would they? Come back, Darcy. Um, all right, so you're not worried about Collingwood, not at all. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say hugely concerned, but I'd like to see them put together four quarters. And the Bulldogs, still, I'll say it again, it has been an amazing uh, fall off since winning a premiership. They're going to miss finals three years in a row following a flag. You don't see that too often. All right, that is round 14, done and dusted. Uh, they're the reviews. Let's now focus on some of the highs and lows. On footyology, hot or not. All right, I'm going to kick us off, Finey, and uh, my first one is a hot, and it goes to not just one, but two. Camerons, the Camerons, and I speak, of course, of Charlie Cameron, uh, formerly of Adelaide, now of Brisbane, and his brother, Jared, who made a very promising debut for West Coast on Thursday evening against the Bombers. Jared Cameron, uh, it's a bit more of the same, really. Yeah, looks very dangerous and 
uh, likes a goal. Uh, only got the seven touches, so I'm I'm not sort of hamming this up a bit. He, well, he wasn't pivotal to the win, but when he did get the ball, he looked dangerous. He ended up with two goals too. So four scores from seven touches, pretty handy return. Uh, they sort of need a few small forwards too. <laughs> Don't they, West Coast, with Ryan and, and Rioli and Cripps? And uh, they're not short on um, pressure forwards who can kick a goal. So he was impressive. And Charlie Cameron... That was one of the individual games of the season, I thought. Didn't necessarily end up with a lot of touches, only 13. But five goals won from those 13. Um, he he was fantastic. The five goals, all from snaps. Terrific goal sense. And what about that one, Finey, where he got tackled, taken to ground, surrounded by three St Kilda defenders, and just almost instantaneously leapt to his feet and uh, snapped another of those five goals. It was a fantastic performance. We interviewed him after the game on 3AW, and it was one of the best interviews we've done post-game all year. It was really funny. In fact, he said he was uh, trying to talk um, uh, is it Daniel McAllister into letting him kick another goal, and McAllister surprisingly refused to accede to that request, and and uh, Charlie offered to buy him a beer if he let him kick a couple more goals. So it was, uh, he's, he's a funny guy, and uh, he was fantastic to watch. And his younger brother looks pretty damn reasonable as well. So the Camerons are my hot. It don't take this the wrong way, any members of the Cameron family, but I just think that um, Charlie Cameron, with his moustache and a, a more mature face, and this fresh-faced brother of his... Mm. He looked like he could be his father. Who does Charlie remind you of? Right off the top of the head. Another former AFL player. Come on. Uh, McAdam? Adrian McAdam. Yeah. yeah, he's a dead ringer for him. I mean, it looks like... He, I don't know, are they related to the McAdams? <laughs> he, he looks like a McAdam. Um, yeah. Anyway, go on, you're up. Okay, my hot goes to... Look, these Port Adelaide youngsters are pretty irresistible, aren't they? And you can choose out <clears throat> any one of them. You love butters. Uh, well, of course we love Butters, and uh, why is that? Um, well, everyone knows him, don't they? Everyone knows it's Butters. That's me. And of course there's Dersma. Yeah. Willem Drew. Willem who? Willem in the twos. We Willem. Ah. It's We Willem 2, isn't it? Isn't Willem 2? We Willem 2. Yeah, well, he's in the twos. But Connor Rosie... Gee, he's an impressive youngster, and there was heat in that game I'm on Saturday say, night. I'm going to say call him Whole Lotter. Whole Lotter Rosie? Yeah. What's that from? ACDC song. Oh, yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah, everything's a musical reference for you. Yeah. It's difficult to keep up with them. Sorry. I really, you know, I've got to broaden my musical horizons to about three bands. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this kid, in the heat of what was a pretty finals-like game, passed every test. So, hot indeed, Connor Rosie. Yeah, he's a, he's a gun. He is an absolute gun. If he doesn't win the Rising Star, he's going to be uh, placed, I would suggest. All right, my turn. It's a not finey, and uh, it is, sad to say, my own team, the Bombers, because they were really, really ordinary in Perth on Thursday night. Didn't give a yelp. Um, a tale of a tape told him those scores, 36 shots to 16. Um, and 4-10 uh, to 2-1 in the second quarter. 
allowing West Coast 22 inside 50s to just four. Um, and 22 marks of the game inside 50, they allowed West Coast. And the midfield was flat. The defence, um, you know, it's been a great defence. There's been plenty of figures published over the last week or so about their, uh, I think, They'd allowed fewer scores than anyone since about round four. Well, um, they I don't know if they were drinking a bit of their own bathwater, but they weren't nearly that good on Thursday night. And a couple of key forwards disappearing doesn't help. But it's just, I don't know, it's just more of the same. The Bombers, every time a bit of decent sort of physical pressure is applied, they just seem to um, not be able to stand up to the challenge. And it doesn't mean they're not still plugging away, but it's sort of this sort of inevitability about it, really, as soon as the pressure's turned on them. And they've got to be able to find a way around that if they want to be even half a decent side, let alone the, you know, sort of top four aspirant that a lot of people were suggesting they could be pre-season. So really, really disappointing loss by them. Um, Probably capped off for me, just quickly, and I'm not sort of pointing the finger specifically at Zach, but Zach Merritt was interviewed after the game. And he his comment was it's it's a wake up call for us, which I thought was a bit funny. I thought, well, you know, like you're six and seven, <laughs> you haven't won a final for fourteen years, fifteen years. How many wake up calls do you need in that time to sort of make you realise there's a fair bit of work required? So pretty disappointing. Just I know one of the players that you had you've passed comment on, and a lot of Essendon supporters have is Zaharakis. He had a slightly different role. Yeah, he played, played off half-back. Bit of a run with on Yeah. Is he better? Yeah, he was okay. He was okay. But uh, I don't think that's sort of... I don't think they need that from him. You know, I think you've got Sarden McKenna doing that. And um, if he's doing that, it's sort of, to me, a reflection on his inadequacies as a midfielder. Interestingly, it's his 200th game uh, coming up this week. And I saw Essendon have released some merchandise to that effect. But... Um, it's just going, Zacha, at the moment, to be honest. All right, you're up. I'll see your not-hot Essendon and raise them not-hot St Kilda. Ah, uh-huh, yes, okay. I don't think there's much more to say about St Kilda than I've said earlier on in the program, other than they cannot allow the slide that has taken place in the last month to be a stepping-off point for any worse football. And they've got some tough games coming up. They've got Geelong and Geelong. Well, first of all, Richmond, who are on the rebound and desperately need a win and some percentage, and welcome back a whole lot of players. So they'll be looking for a kill next week. And then there's Geelong. And uh, I think they've got to get on the road as well and play another game interstate, uh, probably at... uh, Maybe in Adelaide at Adelaide Oval or something like that. So there's some real... Well, I'll make a change from Shanghai or Townsville. Yeah, lovely. Just visit somewhere else. But don't worry about where you play St Kilda. It's how you play. And they were very poor on the weekend. That Those players that can leave the ground feeling as though they looked after their mates could have fit in a mini-minor Uber. A mini-minor Uber? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if they'd... Why, no, why does it have to be an Uber, though? I'm, I'm sort of far Well, they did. would have taken, you know, they would have rung up and said, we're the, we're the players that looked after our teammates. Can we have an Uber? <laughs> oh, okay. And Uber would have, and then they would have said, well, we've got, a, we've got a, a three large cars, but that'd be a waste. We'll send a mini minor to Marvel Stadium. You can get do in you, Do you use Uber? N- never used it in my Actually, life. Carl Bianco, our wonderful producer, is a frequent Uber user. Do you rate Uber, Carl? 
Yeah, it's giving How me do they rate up. you? I don't like a service where you, the passenger gets rated. Yeah, no, I've I've only started using them recently, and I've got to say, overall, I think they're better than taxis. Have to say, Uber Eats is pretty good. I use that a lot. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to finish off, and it's a hot, and it is the Port Adelaide coach Ken Hinckley, um, who got pretty bold at, at the selection table leading up to this game by dropping Justin Westhoff and Paddy Ryder. And it's pretty easy to talk, you know, sort of talk tough, but he actually fired it up and dropped both those fixtures from the team. Um, He tried a few things. They had Dougal Howard playing as a forward and uh, pinch-hitting Ruckman in the few occasions Scott Lysette needed a breather, and Scott Lysette responded really well to being the main man, as indeed he did for West Coast last year when Nick Nat went down. So pretty significant there, I think. Um got a touch of the Todd Goldsteins, prefers to be out in his own. Dan Houston went into that midfield role and responded with 26 disposals, including 11 contested possessions. So that always impresses me when a a player has been sort of um, pigeonholed in one particular role, and in Houston's case as a defender, and then they're able to uh, turn that around, put him somewhere else, and he responds. And I think Tom Rockcliffe will be coming back from injury, but he's not going to walk into that 22 by any means. Tom Cleary, uh, great job on Hawkins. And um, also, there's some other things going on too. I think uh, the faith that um, they've shown in Carl Amon is starting to be repaid now. And Amon, in particular, I think, has had some really encouraging performances of late. So, uh, great effort, Kenny Hinckley, and a really good coaching performance from him. Now, you're a positive soul tonight, 2-1. and one, and I'll, Unusual for me. I'll meet you... Two and one as well, because I thought Christian Petrarca in the last couple of weeks, uh, even in their some of their more disappointing performances, has turned a corner. And that is that the player, I think, that felt a little bit entitled on a half-forward flank to sit there and wait for delivery and try and kick a super goal or two a game and earn his keep that way has obviously been pressed higher up into action. So he, he certainly is getting the ball in the midfield or on the wing more. But he's absolutely imposing himself on a game in a meaningful way and contributing and distributing the ball like somebody who is a leader. And I thought he was central to their victory this week. I really think he's turned a corner in the last month. I reckon Simon Goodwin has put it to him because he was disappointing early on in the season. And he might be my first not hot, too hot this year because I think I'd not hotted him earlier on in the year. Mm. But he's turned that corner and I reckon he's... Absolutely living up to the billing at the moment. And now you're not not hotting him. I've heated him right up. Yes, toasty. Uh, Yes, good to see you uh, come around on that. So one less whipping boy for you to pick on, hopefully, for the rest of the season. True. All right, there are our highs and lows of round 14. And uh, what do you reckon comes now, Farney? I think the best way to finish a weekend of frustration for both of us is with a rant. I think it's a very good idea. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, now this is true. I don't uh, usually I check in with you and see what you're intending to rant about. I failed to do that today, uh, which fills me with a, a sort of dread. But um, I'm going to be as surprised to hear this as anyone. So, are you ready to rant, Mark? Oh, I'm pretty ready. I reckon. Okay, three, two, one, rant. St Kilda. 
welcomed a new player onto the field this weekend. And I've got to say that as far as St Kilda recruits have gone in my time, no come, none come better credentialed than Dan Hannabury the winner of the 2010 Rising Star, the 2015 AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year, where he pipped Nat Fife as the best player in the competition. A Swans Premiership player, a three times All-Australian, and the first, and sorry, I should say, the youngest Swan ever to 200 games. St Kilda don't normally land big fish. They don't normally land fish. They normally land tadpoles and the sort of stuff you throw back or use as bait. So when we finally welcomed Dan Hanbury onto the field, I was nervous. I, I felt like I'd been transported back in time, back to a time when I brought, say, a girlfriend home to meet the family for the first time. And I, I told the family, please be on your best behaviour. Don't let them know that we're the Munsters or her know that we're the Munsters at the first meeting. Let's just try and pretend that we're normal. I begged my nephews to not have their normal mid-meal stoush and fight and argument. I begged my parents not to argue over money, my father not to walk out, my mother not to remind me that I failed to reach any heights as a student. I said, please, not this time, not in front of her. And that's how I felt with Dan Hanabry. I sort of wanted, I begged, I pleaded with this team, just at least make it look like we can play football in front of him. I begged Acres not to fumble, Nunes not to miss targets, McKenzie not to fall over when he was on his opponent. Not the first time he saw us. Let him think that we can play football. I mean, surely we could be on our best behaviour for a recruit like Dan Hanabry. I mean, it's all right with Carlisle. He came back, but he knows that we're klutzers. But we had to just do what my family used to do at those meals. They invariably ended up in food fights, arguments and walkouts. And, well, I walked out, so I guess it ended the same way. <laughs> uh, very good, the old family trouble. Uh, well, as I said, I was sitting down near the bench and um, the longer the game went, Hanbury was coming off and early on he was quite jaunty and whatever and slapping his teammates on the back and then the last couple of quarters he was coming to the bench and sort of exchanging the odd knowing look with one of the uh, coaches sitting on the bench and, and then the last time he came and sat down I had that line from Arrested Development go through my head where Joe Bluth or whoever on that show says, I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, you know, couldn't we just you know, be on our best behaviour? <laughs> couldn't we tuck our shirts in and at least try and pretend that our tie wasn't our school tie and our socks weren't our school socks? All right. Well, that's a well-worn theme of your discontent. I've got a well-worn theme of my discontent. I Dave, reckon, I reckon okay. you can probably guess what it is. One, two, three, rock around the rant. I'm pissed off about the lack of footballers on our TV screens, Finey. There just isn't enough of them. Here we are with an AFL playing pool of about 800, and the obvious talents beyond the thing they're actually being paid to do of at least 50 who haven't already got some sort of media gig just aren't being appreciated. This week on Fox Footy, it's player takeover round. And about bloody time, I say, there's at least two jobs out of their hundred-odd that aren't filled by current or former stars. And if they make it permanent, think of all the money they'd save on those constant promos trying to convince people that Jared Waitley and Robbo are some sort of latter-day incarnation of the odd couple, minus a sense of humour and any sort of chemistry. And it's pretty bloody obvious 
that if you once were able to kick a bag of leather 50 metres, of course your ability to articulate your thoughts on the game in actual understandable English whilst talking to camera is going to be first rate. The greatest pity about Player Takeover Round is that it only goes for a week and doesn't extend into all mainstream media TV programming. I don't just want those guys on footy shows, Fonny. I want them on lifestyle programs. Actually, hang on, they do do that, don't they? Okay, all right, well, I want them on breakfast radio then. Oh, shit, hang on, they've got that covered as well. How about comedy? Who can deny the comic genius that is Bounce, or the riotous vaudeville act that Saturday Stretch has become once Dermy and Dicko launch into their trademark fart gag routine? Well, it certainly seems to have the crew of 21-year-olds doing the production on that show pissing themselves. And that could be just the start, really. What about politics? I still remember fondly Campbell Brown's searing dissection of a state of French politics and its need for a Donald Trump-type figure when he and Andrew Bogart were on a Sky News political panel show last year. Yep, that actually happened. That's the sort of piercing analysis our political media needs. Say on budget night, for example, when the whole thing could be condensed to a couple of lines from Nat Fife or Tex Walker about the government sticking to its structures and how the boys have got to dig deep in the second half of the financial year. Look, finally, it's been proven in sociological terms time after time after time. That as far as TV talent goes, if you could play at the highest level, you're automatically also smarter, more erudite, and funnier than the average Joe. So forget player takeover round, I want player takeover year. These guys are begging to be utilised across every aspect of our lives. And with the average player wage now pushing about 400 grand a season, it's pretty damn obvious these poor bastards need the money too. I'm glad you're thinking about those Poor footballers that just aren't getting enough coin playing football. Oh, they're doing it tough, and and you know they're fantastic oratory, and and they're they should uh, be reading the news. They're they? they're inside. They should be running the country. Finally, I mean they can play football, therefore they can do absolutely anything. And uh, yes, if you needed me to uh, expand on this, I was being sarcastic. All right, we are just about done here and uh, time to sign off. Uh, quick well, plug for the sponsors again. Uh, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park at 80 years young. They are the best hamburgers in town. I promise you that. I can guarantee it. They're great. The competition? Quick reminder of the competition. I'm going to extend it out because we haven't had a great response, I'll be honest. It oh. was going to be unusual reports. Yes. Let's extend it out. What are some of the quirkier injuries can be reports or injuries incurred by AFL footballers. I'll never forget. Peter can be Everett. off the field, you're talking about? Yeah, but to footballers that yeah. kept them from playing. Yes. Remember Peter Everett stepped in a hole in his backyard once? I do. Uh, Brad Otten's had a penchant for unusual injuries. In fact, I think he had about three different ones. So he's on the menu. Uh, any others you care to throw in, email your entries to info at footyology.com.au and we've got some wonderful prizes for you. Only football. Do you know Matthew Hayden missed a test because of piles? I don't know if we should have gone there. All right, that's it. Now, finally, you know how susceptible I am to earworm. Ever since we spoke about Connor Rosie, and I did mention this song, it's just been stuck in my head. So I'm afraid I have to play it. Yes, I know he played ACDC a few weeks ago, but who can get enough ACDC? Let's leave you with a whole lot of Rosie. We'll see you on Thursday.